Welcome to After Dark with Rob and Andrew on America Out Loud, available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Pandora. Or head on over to AmericaOutloud.com and check out the articles and podcasts, thousands of hours of podcasts updated daily. Head on over to AmericaOutloud.com if you have not done so already. And while you're there, please share those articles and podcasts on social media. We appreciate that a great deal. We're excited for the show tonight. We're going to have on one once again, New York Post journalist Heather Robinson will be joining us. First thing I want to talk about is our gas crisis. Once again, we're seeing it play out as Joe Biden has recently banned Russian oil, despite oil here in the United States already being at a record high. Um, earlier this week, I was complaining on the show that gas was around 420 a gallon. Well, since then, it's up to 460 a gallon. It's went up that fast that soon. And that just seems to be how it's going. And then you got Joe Biden and his administration, which, in my opinion, continues to make mistakes. Now they're going to a third world country like Venezuela and going to beg them for gas. And then a backwards country like Saudi Arabia and asking them for gas. It's like taking gas from one dictator to another isn't necessarily the best idea. It just seems like we're going to be dependent on these third world countries, um, just like we were dependent on Russia. Seems like a another mistake that the Biden administration is making. And uh, even Elon Musk, as we mentioned before, is talking about how we need to do more drilling on American soil. But it looks like a big mess from the Biden administration and things are only going to get worse for your wallets and at the gas pump from everything we are hearing. Rob, what are your thoughts? Andrew, I want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight to this show. Uh, and as we always say, please share the broadcast, get it out there. Definitely want to uh, get as many people as possible to hear a different point of view other than what the mainstream media is putting out. Because if you listen to what they're saying, and, and I've said this before, it's all part of the Great Reset. It's all part of it. Look at the supply chain problem that we're having. Inflation. We're told by the media that this is acceptable and that we should just continue with business as usual, BAU, that there's nothing wrong with it. And the monies that Biden gave us during the shutdowns, we can use some of that money to pay for high food prices and now gas prices, and that this is a new normal. But I would submit to you that this is not the new normal, and it's not because of COVID to a degree. But if you recall, before Trump left office, gas prices weren't high like this. There wasn't a supply chain problem. Food was in the market, supermarkets. And this is when we were in COVID, when COVID first hit. So what changed, some people would say. Well, what changes? The leaders changed at the top. We had a leader. Now we don't have one. Things are being put out there, run by the media, the mainstream media, uh, talking heads, propaganda. And when I say it's all part of the reset, when we were locked down for almost two years, they were changing so many different things, taking away civil liberties taking away our rights, things that we knew to do, we used to do, we were able to do, we couldn't do them. The way we traveled, the way we visited our friends, our neighbors, the way we interacted with one another, the way we saw the world. We were locked in and we were fed a constant diet that we were bad people, we were evil, there was racism, and that it all had to be corrected. Now, just imagine you're locked in, you can't go out, you can't have conversations, and you're living in fear. But there's a steady diet that you're bad, that you're seeing on TV, on social media. Now, you could have turned it off, but then you want it to be connected somehow to someone. 
You wanted to know what was going on outside. You wanted to know where this virus was taking us. You wanted to know if you were going to be the next person to die because of this virus. So in between getting that, those updates, that information, they were also sliding in that you're bad, you're this, and we got to change this. And these people have been treated wrong and men are toxic and white people are bad and black people are defenseless and they want to keep them from voting and they need to do this and we've got to promote them. It's like, that's all we heard. And if you weren't careful, you would have bought into it. And many people did. So now that we're out, we're able to go outside there's still this doubt as to who we are and that we're bad because of the images we had we saw on TV, you know, the riots, the spring, summer of 2020, and George Floyd being killed and who was responsible. The police were bad. Now that we're outside, we view things differently. Now, we're, we might not be talking about it outwardly, but internally, we, we see the world different. And it is because of that, that we're now beginning to accept that gas prices are high and inflation is the way it is be expected. What do you think? America thinks that they shouldn't pay for high gases, gas prices, and the oil? Come on. And the food, there's too much excess. And now we've just got to take it down a level, just like other countries, and be quiet and just pay it. But in the background, quiet as it's kept, it's part of the whole reset. Because we want to get rid of coal, we want to get rid of gas, we want to get rid of oil, we want green energy. So now we're being fed a constant diet of, well, why shouldn't gas prices be high? We shouldn't be driving cars anyway. We should have green cars, energy cars. That's what we should have. Then you have these celebrities that are on TV saying, oh, don't worry about it. I have a green car. I don't have to worry about this. I have a Tesla. And people will start to think, oh, that's right. I saw in the news the other night, this couple, they're saying, oh, I, I can you know, pay high gas, ga- gas prices. I'm okay if it's for Ukraine. This has nothing to do with Ukraine. Don't be deceived. It has nothing to do with Ukraine. Nothing at all. But you know what? We didn't have to have Ukraine had we had a strong leader at the top. So don't be deceived. Gas prices were going up already. There was already a supply chain problem that Putin edge edge couldn't resolve, and he's yet to resolve it. We still have cargo sitting in the ocean, shelves not stocked at the supermarket. This was before Putin went into Ukraine. So don't tie the two together. What it is, is part of the Great Reset, that they're using this opportunity to make you feel bad about yourselves again with gases. You're a glutton. Why are you trying to get more gas? You should be selling your car. People can barely get new cars now. They're trying to get used cars. It's all part of the great reset. And if you're not careful, you will buy into this foolishness. We have to be careful. We have to wake up and see what they're doing, feeding us a diet of self-hate. All the while, they're trying to change things on you. And when it's all said and done, it's like, oh, I don't want a car. It's too expensive. Why do we have cars? I need a green car. But where are the green cars? Where are the electric cars? They don't even have enough electric cars out there. Just imagine if everyone were to go out and say, oh, I'm going to get an electric car. Maybe that's what the government is planning on doing, Heather. Maybe they're planning on buying everyone a green car, an electric car, so that when all this is said and done, we'll all have these electric cars. But will that happen? It's doubtful. But in the meantime, they're easing this up on you. So by the time spring is here and then the summer and we can't get gas, we'll say, oh, at least we're saving the, uh, the environment. Because when we're all locked in, look at what they said about the environment. Our carbon footprint had almost like went down and they loved it. They loved those numbers. But did they love them so that they're changing our way of life? We're getting gas and fuel from another country. 
that can very easily turn off the spigot and look at what happens. Look at what's happening to us now. Why are we going to Venezuela? Why are we still going to Russia? Now, I know Biden is saying now, well, we're going to cut that off, but are we cutting it off completely? Or is there a small little spigot that we're still getting gas and oil from these countries? Heather, thank you for joining us tonight. What do you say? Thank you, Rob. Great to be here. Well, I, I have um, a different perspective um, than many do, I think, on what's happening in uh, Ukraine. Uh, of course, my heart aches and is uh, just so sad for the people of the country, especially the children. I always think first of the children in anything like this. Big picture, I, I wish adults and leaders in particular would think first about children um, ahead of agendas, ahead of stubborn um, obsessions um, and power. And, and you know, I mean, that sounds kind of touchy-feely, but I, I honestly think that if, I think if, um, you know, all sides, I say all sides in this conflict, because I think that much as I'm disgusted by what Putin has done, I, I see this in a bigger picture sense. Um, I think that uh, from what I've gathered, there is a long history between our own country, and some might say the deep state, you know, the elites in this country have been demonizing and vilifying Russia for decades now. It sometimes takes the form of trying to smear a former president, Donald Trump, as a colluder, whatever that means, with Russia, which was never proved. Um, it sometimes takes other forms. But I think that what's been missed in many people's analysis of this tragic turn is that it may have been preventable. And I say may have been because, of course, I, I, I'm not all-knowing and we don't know what would have been. But we do know that Putin has many, many times, and this is not to excuse how brutal what he's done is, but he did say many, 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 many times that he would invade if certain conditions were not met. And he did lay out a few conditions. And this is all but absent from current reporting on the subject, but all you have to do is, you know, go back a few weeks, a few months, a few years. Um, and, uh, you know, he said very clearly over and over again that the idea of Ukraine being in NATO was absolutely unacceptable to him. He wanted a legal guarantee from our country, from America, that that would never happen. Now, you know, I think you can say, well, that's arrogant, that's bossy, that's demanding, that's illegal under international law, whatever. However, I don't think it was impossible. And it was spelled out very clearly over and over and over again that this was his obsession and we would not give him that assurance. Even a few weeks ago when he was circling Ukraine with tanks, I had to go to Al Jazeera to read this because it's all but absent from Western sources. But he's quoted as saying, I, I do not want to invade, but I have, I, now I'm paraphrasing, I have outlined my concerns clearly. And if they are not taken seriously, I will. 
And his concerns, one of them was he wanted a guarantee, no Ukraine in NATO, and he wanted certain missiles that are pointed at Russia, apparently, to be removed. We, I'm talking about, you know, America at the helm of NATO and NATO chose not to uh, meet those demands. So the way I see it, you know, I don't think that he's in the right. I think what he's done is awful, but I suspect that we dug in hard here and pushed what some people might see as a, an aggressive globalist agenda into his backyard. And I think these Ukrainian people are caught in between. And I think there's a glaring lack of common sense and humility and real politique in our foreign policy. And I suspect that had President Trump been president, um, this very well may not have happened because I don't think President Trump would have been um, insistent on this NATO issue with Ukraine. I don't, maybe I'm missing something. I really don't see what the big deal is. I don't see why it was absolutely essential and, and beyond the scope of any rational consideration, you know, that we could, you know, not give Putin this assurance just because, you know, we don't like him and this and that, and he's, you know, a thug and all that, you know, he is, but he, you know, I think there's a lack of imagination and ability to see it through the eyes of the Russian people. And I, I think that, you know, to give him that, would not have been appeasement because frankly, you know, I mean, Ukraine's not in NATO now anyway. So it's not even giving him anything that it's not changing anything. It's just an assurance that I frankly can't believe, you know, nobody is, I mean, I guess at this point, no one's talking about it because it seems like it's too late. Although I did see just before we came on that President Zelensky himself said today, finally said something like, uh, I'm paraphrasing him. He said, you know, I'm kind of cooling down on this whole idea about NATO. You know, he himself and he, you know, he's the one under fire. He just said something today about how maybe it's not such a big deal that we be in NATO, which I, I give him credit for. And I think that, it, you know, in some ways this could be viewed as, you know, he could be viewed and his people as really the victims of a power struggle between East and West that is uh, very absurd, frankly. And, you know, the other thing I'll say about this, and I realize this is controversial because people are very upset and inflamed. Understandably, they're very upset for these people. And it is terrible. But, you know, at the risk of oversimplifying, I would remind our listeners that when the Russians tried to put missiles in Cuba, the United States was having none of it. And we almost came to nuclear war. So, you know, again, from their perspective, you know, we are insisting it on, you know, putting missiles in their backyard. They may see that as, you know, a potential future security threat for them. And I don't really see why we have to push it. And I don't think Donald Trump would have. Wow. Excellent commentary, Heather. A lot of great points that you brought up, and a lot of them have been seeping in my own mind as well. Um, you've got our mainstream media, which has only been telling us one side of the story, and they've been lying to us for years. So it's kind of hard to take what they're saying now without a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. And then you've got all these globalist leaders coming together. Um, 
against uh, Russia here, it just seems awfully convenient. And it feels like the Russia side of the story has not been told by the mainstream it's media all, or on the news. And yeah, people are not even trying to see um, why they're doing what they're doing. But so many try and act like they're experts on the subject when clearly, in fact, they're not. Yeah, and look, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not <laughs> defending Putin's actions here. I, I think that this is a, a terrible thing. I don't agree with it. I, I really don't. I, I don't think violence is the answer unless it's truly self-defense, although he and his people might say that, that it is. Um, I don't think, I mean, it's interesting to think about what else could he have done, you know, to raise his side short of this awful violence. And of course, he did for many, many years say, you know, the, 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 he insisted on several points. And, um, you know, some people say, oh, well, he would have done this anyway, because he craves power and he's a revanchist and he wants to reconstitute the Russian empire. And, you know, that may be true. I mean, I'm not a psychic. I'm not in his head. You know, I don't know. But I do think it makes sense to look at what is, you know, what what he said, what we said, what he did, what we did, what NATO did, what, you know, what what he's done now. I mean, I think that all the rest is really speculation. We don't know, you know, what he would have done, what he's going to do next. What, but we do know that he said again and again that he would invade if these demands were not met, and he invaded. It wasn't a surprise. You know, I know that there are similarities to World War II because it, it is, it's disregarding a sovereign nation's borders. It's brutal, you know, but there are differences as well. You know, I mean, Hitler, to my recollection, didn't sit there for months and weeks saying, I really don't want to invade, um, but these are my list of, of concerns and I, this is the point I will not negotiate on and I want to talk and, and hear you take me seriously. And I'm going to sit here for months not invading. I mean, he just invaded. I'm, I'm talking about Hitler. So I'm just saying I'm not comparing in terms of, you know, I mean, I get that this is brutal and it's hard to, you know, in any way. I mean, I wouldn't justify it, but I do think it's important to think logically and to look at differences as well as similarities and to not try to it's not quite the exact same situation as World War II necessarily. And so I think we're given a blueprint, you know, that's that's basically like, you know, this is World War II and we have to all, you know, jump into the fight. And I'm not so sure that that's, I think we could start World War III basically, because I mean, you know, <laughs> if everybody jumps in and keeps fueling this with more weapons and, you know, it's, it's just not going to, it's not going to come to any resolution anytime soon. And, you know, there's all kinds of variables in the mix, including nuclear weapons. So I think um, it's very important to try to be cool and, and think about it logically as best we can. And I'm not, you know, one thing I will say, I do give President Biden a little credit. You guys know I'm not a big fan, but I think in this instance, one thing in my humble opinion he's done right is not jump in with direct American um, military presence there or a no-fly zone. I think that's the right call. Um, you know, I think he is a calm personality, a steady hand in that sense. And 
I never thought I'd say that, you know, say it, but I think he may not be the worst president for this situation. I mean, given that this situation is already unfolding. And I mean, I think we, you know, it's a terrible humanitarian catastrophe for these people. And I'm all for helping them, taking some of them. Listen, we're taking everybody else in the world, right? I mean, these people are in an authentic, genuine of humanitarian, terrible crisis. And I think if we can help, you know, it's to help some of them get out of there, you know, and I'm, I'm not actually in favor. You know, I've had a few discussions with some beloved friends of mine who are very much in disagreement with me, but I don't believe in sending more weapons. Um, I think that this is I, 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 you know, I don't know by any means all there is to know about it, you know, but I do know that there, that it's a, I don't think it's quite as simple as what's being presented to us in the media. I think it is a harsh thing. And, but I don't, I think that it's very possible that, you know, Putin and the Russians are fighting what they believe will prevent like a future war. And, much as I don't agree with what they're doing, you know, I think that to, you know, to, to conclude that he's Hitler and he's out of his mind, I mean, I, I just think is getting carried away. And, you know, we don't know that. I mean, if God forbid he keeps marching into country after country, then we'll know that, I guess. But, you know, at this point, I just think it's much, to me, it's, it's, it seems very possible that it's, you know, he wants his own backyard as opposed to the whole world. And what what he seems to be asking for is in, at this point, if I'm understanding a neutral Ukraine, which I don't even know what that would mean exactly. But, you know, I think he and Zelensky should be encouraged to work it out. Right. Well said, Heather. And I'm uh, completely agreeance that we should not be providing any more weapons or things like that because or 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 a cash, because if you look at Ukraine's history, um, they do have a history of being corrupt. I mean, they're the same country that gave Hunter Hunter Biden over 100 million dollars. And we don't really know where this money is going or if it's going to the Ukrainian people. So I'm all for sending food or um, blankets, things like that, humanitarian supplies. But I am against all the cash that the Biden administration continues to send Ukraine. I think it's going to be a big waste of money, sadly, because I'm not confident that it's going to end up in the hands of the actual Ukrainian people who are in need of the aid. It's true. And there's a lot, you know, I don't mean to diss, you know, that country because they're under a terrible assault here. But, you know, the people deserve our our love and compassion. But, the, you know, the government of the country, you know, and I know everybody loves Zelensky and that, you know, he's kind of an intriguing figure to be sure. But, you know, he's got a lot of backbone, but the, the, the government is very corrupt there. There's been a lot of problems with corruption. They've jailed journalists. I mean, Zelensky's jailed his political opposition. I think they're moving toward a more democratic model, you know, and there are people there who care about that and are trying, but it's, you know, it's kind of being presented to us in the media, like they and their government are these angels who are being, you know, just completely out of nowhere attacked by Hitler, who's Putin. And I I think the reality is these are, you know, two groups of people and Putin's a dictator, sure. And he's a you know, he's, he's, I'm not saying that he plays tenderly or respectfully of human rights or anything like that. I think in some ways, you know, he's not to be trusted, you know, in that way. But I think that it's, it's, a, it's, it, the whole situation is, 
very complicated and multi-layered, you know, and I really, you know, I get it that I don't mean to sound like such an isolationist because we're a global world and all that. And, you know, if, if it's injustice somewhere, we should care. But I also think that, you know, it, it isn't really, and it, it, it really, I mean, other than helping with humanitarian aid and trying to help children, which I'm a hundred million percent in favor of, I think we should put our efforts there. I don't think this is our fight to fight and to inflame. And I think, you know, as I, as I recall that Donald Trump, when he came into office, and maybe you guys would remember because you, you're so, you know, knowledgeable, Rob, I think if I'm not mistaken, Trump expressed a lot of reservations about NATO in general when he came to office. He said something about how NATO and the UN, these bodies, you know, they, help we we contribute disproportionately monetarily to them they don't really do anything for our security you know it's more like we're likely to get pulled into something as a result and you know he was talking about leaving the un and i i remember him making some similar comment about nato which i mean i guess was kind of a i you know more kind of a maybe a bit of hyperbole you know i mean we are this is something that's been around for many decades and it's part of the world now and part of the way we, you know, we do things. We're very tied to Europe and I get that it's viewed as a, you know, important cooperative thing in terms of democracy building. But in my opinion, what we've seen here is it's really been a tripwire, you know, for potentially starting World War III and, you know, getting us dragged into something, you know, that's really not our fight. Yeah, well said. Tensions are definitely high. You're tuned in to After Dark with Robin Andrew, available on America Out Loud via iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or download the America Out Loud app to keep track of all the great shows. We'll be back with more After Dark with Robin Andrew with special guest Heather Robinson. Along with a healthy immune system, clean air is vital for optimal health. According to the EPA, we spend 90% of our time indoors, where germs are most concentrated. It's essential to clean indoor air. Genesis is the only technology that quickly, safely, and effectively kills pathogens both in the air and on surfaces in seconds, reducing the viral load in any environment. The powerful, well-built Genesis Fogger produces a dry, ultra-fine mist using HOCL, which occurs naturally in our own immune systems. We'll be living with airborne diseases in the future. New viruses and antibiotic-resistant superbugs are no problem for Genesis. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. Our invincible American spirit drives the most audacious experiment in the history of self-government. America Out Loud celebrates the American spirit every minute of every day. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. 
Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. And we're back with Africa with Robin Andrew and our special guest, Heather Robinson. And when we went to break, Heather was just giving us another way of her insight for views on Ukraine, the Ukraine-Russia war conflict or whatever you want to call it. And what she's saying is pretty much what Tulsi Gabbard has been saying for the longest. Uh, she came out earlier on and she was saying that the United States has for the longest been dangling this carrot in front mm-hmm. of Ukraine join NATO. And this goes all the way back to the Bill Clinton uh, years when he was in office, when he got them to get rid of their nuclear weapons and said, hey, there's a possibility that you can join NATO. And then after his presidency, the next president, the next president, so on thereafter. And all along, Putin has been saying, nope, I don't feel so comfortable about them joining NATO. Why, why, why? I don't want American troops in my backyard. No, some would say, well, that's so simplistic. What's the problem there? But the man said, I don't want it there. And what exactly was Ukraine bringing to the table? So we were like stringing them along all this time. Yes. Because if we wanted them there, we would have said, hey, here's the application. But we told them that you guys have got corruption. You need to clean this up before we admit you in. So when Putin came out and said, I don't want it to happen. This just didn't happen start yesterday. He's been saying this for quite some time. Remember, President Trump said that he told Putin, no, don't go there. You don't want to do it. But he also said, and you're correct about it, Heather, that NATO, what is its purpose? And I've said this on numerous shows. What is the purpose of having NATO if we have to, we being the United States, if we've got to foot the bill? We're footing the entire bill. But then when Trump came in, he said, okay, if you guys want us to protect you, you need to come up and foot the bill. What is your GDP? You're supposed to be paying a percentage of that to NATO. Now, NATO and the UN are two different things, so people don't get it confused, as many people are thinking that NATO and the UN are the same thing. And we also have to realize that NATO doesn't have an army. NATO is relying on the different countries that are involved in it to supply military. They've but never gone I, to war. They've never well, they've done. They've, I'll tell you, Rob, I don't mean to interrupt you, but dropped a lot of bombs. Exactly who's bomb. I mean, I don't I don't know as much about the military side, like whether it's the various militaries of the different countries that come together. But, you know, in Kosovo, Pristina, Belgrade, I'll take you back to the 90s. A lot of people don't remember this, but Putin does. And he talks about it a lot. I mean, it's very complicated. Those were his allies who were right. bombed well, well, here, by NATO. So you right. see, when, when people say, well, what does he care about having NATO there? NATO is a peacekeeping force. That's from our point of view. From you our know, point of view, exactly. We may think that it was right what NATO did, and NATO ended the, you know, what we were told was a genocide of Bosnian, you know, Muslims, which 
whether, I mean, it was clearly, there was a lot of, you know, brutality toward them, whether it was a genocide or not, that's debatable, but so Slobodan Milosevic was tried for war crimes, all that. I'm not saying that that was wrong because we did end a lot of carnage, but we used big bombs to do that against Putin's allies. And, and, where, he, and where did the bombs come from? Who, who NATO. I don't know. Was it the countries who, I mean, I don't know technically, is it, right. is there, the so US. you're saying Right. Okay. Because they, they only operate depending on the countries that are there. And because the United States, as always, unfortunately, we provide them with the majority of the funding, it is through us. And it's something else that we have to think about also about NATO. When we talk about providing Ukraine with arms, providing them with money. Uh, and I don't think people are thinking about this because, as you said, it's not as simplistic as it seems. Now, you have Putin saying that if None of these countries had better better help Ukraine. You can't put any army there. You can't do X, Y, Z, because if you do, I, I remember I'm a nuclear uh, country and I can go nuclear on you. But here's the thing that I don't think a lot of people are thinking about. How in the heck are we getting the weapons to Ukraine? Now, there's this big deal right now as far as the airspace. And we can't provide them with any airplanes because if we do, it's going to be in the airspace. And then... What did Biden say? Well, Poland needs to do this. Poland. And what did Poland say? Okay, we'll give them all the airplanes they want, but we're going to fly them into Germany at your your base. And then from there, you can dispatch them. What did Biden say? Oh, no, can't do that because then Putin will think that we're involved. Okay, makes sense. But take a step back. The ammunition that we're giving them right now, the javelins, how are we getting that to them? What air base are we flying that to? It has to be from a U.S. airbase. And don't you think Putin knows that? Of course he knows it. So this whole thing of saying, well, we can't do it from the Germany airbase. Well, how are we getting them the javelins? How are we getting them any of the ammunition? It's coming from our airbase. But quiet is this kept. No one wants to focus on that. So this whole big thing, this whole big ordeal with, well, we can't give them this because of this. No, it's just a ploy. And that is the reason why people have to be tuned in because they have... What other way are they going to get our javelins? Except it goes to Germany, and then it's going to come from their airbase, the airbase that we have there. So Poland pretty much put Blyton on blast, but the media won't call him out. The media will say nothing about it. Was it? Wait a minute, this makes no sense. You're saying that Poland won't give them the aircrafts, and then Poland comes out and says, okay, here it is. We're going to send it to Germany. But then you're going to come back and say, oh, no, you can't send it to Germany because it's going to come from our airbase in Germany. But how are the other weapons getting there? Quiet is this kept. So it's just like a whole thing of going around and around in circles. And here's the other thing that I want all of our listeners to pay attention to. Putin is saying, okay, I don't want Ukraine to be part of NATO. I don't even know, if, like I said, I don't even know why NATO's there. What is NATO doing for us? It's almost as if though it's our army. We're providing them. We, we're the biggest funders. You have Europe. You have uh, France, you have Germany, I think it's Great Britain, and I can't think of the other countries that are in, that are a part of NATO. Why aren't they countries? Right. So um, why aren't they? Why aren't they saying more? This is on their back. This is in their backyard. Why aren't they saying more? Putin can very easily get mad and say, "Okay, we're going to go into those countries." Why aren't they saying more? And if Putin is so concerned about Ukraine being at their borders, look around them. There are other countries that are at their borders also, that are part of NATO. 
But Rob, but Rob, what he said many times is that if you look at a map, you mean NATO has pushed further and further. And look, I, I don't even I, I don't think NATO is anything horrible, but I think he thinks it is. Putin does. And it's a lot of people do. I mean, some people think it's the sort of, you know, globalist kind of big, big brother sort of thing. And that's how they see it as this one world agenda with an army behind its smiling face that's going to turn their country into the one world blob or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't mean to make light of it, but, you know, and from their standpoint, a lot of people died as a result of NATO, you know, what we we view as defending innocent people and, and spreading and sticking up for democracy. These countries, I think some of them, like, you know, Russia, view as a threat to their way of life because right. they don't, you know, I mean, of course, I believe democracy is superior to an autocracy or whatever Russia is now. But not everybody in the world necessarily thinks that way. And if you I look think- at Iraq, you look at Iraq, you look at all these other countries that we've tried to go in and put our form of democracy and it just doesn't work. I mean, right. Mm-hmm. We would like to think that democracy is, you know, one size fits all, but it doesn't. And maybe they're just not ready. Maybe in a thousand years after Putin croaks and the 10 more people come along, they will be ready. But I think we've kind of gotten our fill of trying to, uh, you know, it reminds me of this scene from the Superman movies. Do you guys remember the scene where Superman tries to turn back the world because Lois Lane dies and he hears his, he hears Jarrell's voice saying it is forbidden to interfere timeline of another universe or the evolution of another people. It is forbidden. It is forbidden. And of course, we're rooting for Superman because we know he's doing it out of love and he's driven by these pure motives. But it's kind of an interesting example of something that, yeah, I mean, it's from fiction, but I've thought of that a few times lately because I think that we do try to, to accelerate and meddle in some of these societies' evolutions, and they're maybe they're not ready for that. And we're there's a, you could look at it. Listen, I don't mean to sound anti. You know, I love our country and our way of life, but I now I sound like a lib. <laughs> no, 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 you don't, Heather. I, I think a lot of people right. arrogance. I mean, we we, we, you know, we have a great strong country and way of life and freedom. But and our freedom. democracy gay rights. But, but they don't want say, that. Right. That's not to say yeah, that our and, democracy is for them. And we have no, to or that. that we can, we, you know, we can teach them a lesson. We can try. I mean, they, they deal with their enemies in a harsh way. Okay. I'm talking about Putin and Serbia and whatever. And I'm not, I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I think I'm against what we did. I'm just saying it's worth thinking about from their point of view, you know, here they were in a fight. They had violent Muslim insurgencies on their hands. And they, my understanding is that, you know, Milosevic, he, you know, reacted and overreacted and, you know, committed all kinds of human rights abuses, which was wrong, of course. And then we dumped bombs, NATO dumped bombs, you know, and militarily intervened. But again, you know, they, the, the idea that they were engaged in what they were doing for absolutely no reason and had zero provocation is simply not true. That's the way it's, rep- you know, it's often ta- told to us in the West. So it becomes a more complicated 
more difficult moral question at that point. These people are, you know, they're dealing with real enemies. They're doing it in a way we consider inhumane, you know, so what do we do? You know, maybe, you know, there's an argument to be made for intervention. And then there's an argument to be made that that's not how we do it. And we don't, you know, we can try to discourage that, but maybe we really shouldn't be violently meddling ourselves in the conflicts of other people that are not 100% one-sided. And I mean, I think from what I've learned, a little bit I've learned the past few days, there's some truth to this too with regard to um, Russia and Ukraine. There's, there's, a, there's a long history between Russians and Ukrainians, at least a few hundred years long of mutual violence. Granted, I guess the Ukrainians have died in greater numbers. They were starved by the former Soviet Union uh, in World War II. They were recruited by Hitler to be Hitler's henchmen. 1.5 million Jews were, were killed in Ukraine alone, which isn't to blame people today for that. But I'm just saying that their past is very bloody. They have a lot of bloody history, including with Russians. And, you know, this is, you know, this is a, a deep, deep rooted conflict between them. It's, it's, it, there's so many layers to this. And, you know, here we are, you know, coming along, you know, I kind of feel like we're a little bit like the, I don't know why, I mean, like the Keystone Cops. I mean, we don't really even study these terrible, bloody conflicts of Europe. Most Americans don't know much about it, thank God. And so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to now jump in with weapons and, and Russia has nukes. I mean, the whole thing, I mean, forgive me, but I just think the whole thing is, is ridiculous. I mean, it's not ridiculous to try to help people on a humanitarian basis. I think that's important, but I think that the rest of it, I really think, you know, that we are just potentially inflaming something that is not our fight. We don't understand it. You know, we're pushing a globalist democratic agenda into a part of the world that isn't ready for it. And I think we're partly to blame, to be quite right, honest. And we've been doing that for quite some time. And I think that's one of the things that Trump was against. And he was yes. always talking about the globalists and people, oh, no, he's going to be an isolationist. No, it's not that at all. We have to well, understand. It is a little bit. It is a little bit, Robin. I guess I sound like one, too. But I, well, no, I think that I think that what Trump was saying was spot on. We need to be concerned about what's happening in our own country. Our way of life is not the way of life that other people want. Yes, we have the greatest country, and I too, I agree with that. But that's not to say that one size fits all and we could take what we have and go and place it in these other countries. You look at Iraq, you look, look at Afghanistan. We thought that we could, and we still can. I mean, completely different countries, different cultures. And yep. while there are other people that are there, there are some people that are there that will say, oh, we want the American way of life. But do they really want it? You look at Iran, because when these same individuals come here and live in our country, they still hold on to those cultural ideas and to those values. And then we have to get them to understand, no, this is the United States. And then you have judges in these little small sections that are saying, well, maybe we should look at the way they, their laws were in their country. Remember, there was one point where we were having this huge debate about Sharia law. Mm -hmm. And you had a judge saying, well, maybe we should look at that. No, we should not. We have the Constitution. And that is one of my biggest 
fears. No, if you say mm-hmm. that, if you speak it, people will say, oh, you're being a racist or you're saying that you don't like those other countries. No, I'm not. If you're coming to America, mm-hmm. you're coming here, you're accepting our values. And when you have these groups of people that are coming, like I said, we have like 30,000 Afghanistanians that are here now. They came from Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. 30,000. That's more the population than some towns that we have. Now, imagine if you were to put them all together. Now, they're glad that they're here. But within that 30,000, some of them are going to still want to hold on to their traditions and to their Mm -hmm. values. Even now, you look at Texas. I think there was an incident in Texas whereby, and I'm not speaking ill of the Islamic religion, whereby they stoned one of the daughters because they found out, learned that she was dating. Okay, the same thing happened in New York, upstate New York. The same thing happened in Ohio. Mm -hmm. But see, we look at these things and we brush them off as opposed to saying, wait a minute, why did this happen? They were unable to accept our culture and our values. And we had a guest who came on, Fanum Malat, and we questioned him about it. With those individuals that are coming here from Afghanistan, would they be able to assimilate to our culture? And he said, well, for some of them, it will be difficult. Now, when you bring up the word assimilation, you will have the left saying, oh, what do you mean? Assimilate to this culture. This culture is evil. And it's, we don't want that. They should be able to keep their own culture. Right. I agree with that. But as far as our laws and our values, they've got to take that on. We, we're the United States of America. We can't right. be the United States with having all these different people with, well, no, I'm bringing this from my country. Well, that is sure, proof right there here. that they can't right. accept it. Well, if they choose to come here, that there needs right. to be some degree of adaptation to our culture. I agree with you, Rob, but that's people who are choosing to come here. We're choosing to say, to you know, recruit people in Eastern Europe on the doorstep of another culture, Russia, to our culture, you know, our political culture. Well, of course, you know, some would say, well, they have the right to choose. And yes, in the perfect world, they do. But, you know, the reality is they have a, a, a tough dictator, I'm talking about Putin, next to them who has nuclear weapons. And, you know, he's saying he feels threatened by them joining this this what is really a, a Western military alliance and putting missiles there, you know, and you know, and we're you know trying to make the world safe for democracy, you know, in the backyard of a brutal dictator with nuclear weapons who has specifically and repeatedly said that one of his main can you know demands is that that not happen, and I just think it's asinine what we have done, what our foreign policy elites have pushed, I'm angry about it because I feel like, you know, it's, it's just lacking in common sense. I mean, yes, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, you know, we should liberate the concentration camps of North Korea, where hundreds of thousands of people are being systematically worked and starved to death. We should, you know, go to South Sudan, where Christians have been murdered by the millions and liberate them out of slavery at the hands of Islamists. And by the way, those would probably be safer bets for us to do if we really want to, you know, improve the world than push this murderous dictator who has nuclear weapons with our agenda. You know, I think that our foreign policy elites are so unrealistic and I don't know. I don't know what, you know, what they're thinking. I don't know what their obsession is with this NATO thing, but I think it's, you know, the American people 
are not getting straight talk about this. You know, they don't, I mean, the, the point isn't to defend, I mean, what Putin's done is wrong. He shouldn't be violently taking over this, uh, this country, this other country. But I don't know why we couldn't have given him this assurance. I mean, it's, it's like some kind of misguided idealism or maybe, I mean, I know people who think it's something more sinister, that it's driven by the deep state and this globalist elite who wanna have the world become one big socialistic blob. I, I'm not saying I believe that. I, I don't necessarily believe that, but I don't really understand why, you know, why we would have pushed that again and again, you know, when we know this person and his people, you know, Putin are, you know, capable of a lot of brutality, have nuclear weapons, this is their part of the world, you know, and that's something that, you know, that in the modern global parlance, I guess, is kind of, you know, we think in terms of borders and laws and international law, and that's all fine and good, but, you know, this is a more primitive kind of deeper psychological issue. You know, it's like when you go onto somebody's turf and you st- or near their turf and you start telling them well, how it's going to be, you know, it's like a primitive thing. But I just think, you know, we have to recognize that not everybody in the world thinks in terms of, you know, these these legal legalities and international law and global agreements, you know, that some of the world's still pretty primitive in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think that, you know, this this is uh, a la- lack of judgment on the part of our elites that's just being compounded now by pouring more weapons in and by a very shallow kind of coverage, you know, in the media. I know, and I think some people are very well-intentioned. I think they feel honestly outraged on the behalf of the Ukrainian people. And I, I do understand that. I feel it too. But this whole situation suffers from a terrible lack of common sense, you know, because, you know, you just, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like de- dealing with a bully that, you know, is a little unsafe, whatever, you know, you're in a situation that isn't ideal, but it's like, if, if what the bully wants is for you to stay away from his turf, you basically, you know what I mean? You stay away. I mean, unless you really, for some reason, absolutely cannot, it's like, you know, why push, you know, something that is not absolutely necessary, you know, is how I see it. Well, it's just unfortunate that our politicians uh, some of them, if they do see it that way, they're not speaking out out of fear. But as I said, Tulsi Gabbard, she came out and she said, "We, sh- this is not our war. This is not our issue. And this whole thing with NATO, we should have just said, okay, if that's what you want. We're not going to do it. Is it that we didn't say that because we didn't want it to seem as if though Putin had the upper hand? Yeah. We, could have, we could have jumped out earlier on and said, okay, no, Ukraine, you guys have too many issues. You have too many problems. You can't be a member of NATO. And Trump we just got to give him credit. He had the foresight to see this. Did he? I have to go back and see. Yeah, what he, he said, you know, he never really cared for NATO. And he reached out to, I think it was Zelensky, trying to get to the bottom as to what was happening with, with, with him and with Biden. And we will probably never know. But when you look at it, Trump was impeached because of a phone call to this guy. Trump didn't cause the war. 
and look at where we are now. Teetering almost. But we're going to blame this whole thing on this is the reason why gas prices are so high. No, it has nothing to do with it. Nothing at all. It's look, gaslighting, it's, as they say. Putin's folly, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's his folly in, in many ways. You know, this was incredible. his folly in many ways. But I think that had we. If Trump were in office now. And this question should be said to all the commentators that are on the news right now. And it has never come up. Do you actually think we would be having this situation if Trump were in office? Probably not, but who knows? I mean, it's like we have to deal with reality and what is. We have to deal with reality, right? What is what we are? Wouldn't have happened if Trump is in it, office? It's kind of like, but it's a, it, right? But it's a it hypothetical. Happened even if we had met Putin's demands. I mean, we don't know any of that. We, we know. We don't know, happened. right? And, and I say that because the media is always hypothesizing on everything else. They said that when Trump was in office, we were going to go to war, but we didn't. So mm -hmm. I raise that question up because of what they have said and what they said in the past that never came to fruition. So mm -hmm. if Trump were in office, all the naysayers, all the individuals that, oh, Trump is he's mean, he's crazy, he's bombastic, he's this, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay, fine, we get it. But if he were in office, do you think Mr. Bombastic, the man that you said was going to bring us World War III, do you think we would be teetering toward that right now? They hypothesized throughout his entire time in office. So I now want to put that question out to them. And I think it's a fair question. Mm -hmm. Since they're and sitting back also... and they're wondering as to what will happen, what's going to happen. Okay, fine. We know where we are, but let's just hypothesize again because you guys were so eloquent in hypothesizing when he was in office and saying that we were going to be in World War III the moment he was elected. Mark Cuban yeah. said that before he's even inaugurated, we'll be in World War III. They were constantly predicting that with <laughs> North Korea. It never happened. We weren't even close to it. But now we are so close because Putin could at any given point in time. You think about World War, I think it was World War I, how that war started mm. and how the other countries got involved because of a mistake. Then World yeah, War II. Yeah, that's scary. That right. did the so fall you think of about war it, right. something happened. Exactly. People exactly. are, we, we see it here, how emotional people are, you know, right. people are so emotional. They're like, you know, send them weapons, send them, you know, but it's like, you know, it's an understandable reaction. You but, see but, but as I said earlier, we said, send them weapons, but how are we getting the weapons to them? We're, it's coming from our basis. That's the only way Putin knows that. So he can very easily say, oh, that's a declaration. Look at what you guys are doing. We found it, but he hasn't called it out. So he has another, he has an arterial motive here. We don't know what it is, but we know that if our troops were seen on his borders at this point, albeit a mistake, someone might say, oh, go deliver this. And then, okay, we'll go deliver it. Oh, there's an American troop. There you go. You see? And he would be able to tell his people, this is what happened. So we're so close. I know. And, you know, Rob, I would just ask our listeners to think of the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know. Think of Cuban Missile Crisis, not just World War II. You know, that's another example. Then that's, I think, a more germane example because that was Russia. You know, we came close, but cooler heads prevailed. You know, Kennedy didn't overreact and the Russians turned around. You know, and, and you know, people forget that, you know, I mean, they say, what's the big deal about, you know, Ukraine and NATO and Ukraine means missiles on his border. And when we, you know, when, when a Russian led federation tried to put missiles in our hemisphere, we did not have it. 
you know, I mean, I, and I know there are differences and da, 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 but there are some similarities, you know, it was that primitive impulse. We didn't want, you know, Russian missiles that close. And, and, you know, I think our leadership managed to, you know, project enough strength and the Russians to their credit in that situation, you know, were sensible enough to turn around. And I think that we lacked that sense in this situation. I think as he was massing his troops, we could have done the equivalent of what Russia did in that, at that time, which was to take those missiles and turn around. We could have said, you know what? No Ukraine in NATO, leave Ukraine alone. We'll, we'll remove some of these missiles. That to me would have been roughly the equivalent, you know, of what happened in the Cuban Missile Crisis. But we were too cocksure and whatever, you know, lacking in common sense to do that. And so now we have this situation on our hands. That's the way I see it. Yeah, also, I don't think it would have cost us our security to, you know, say no NATO for Ukraine and we'll remove a few missiles, Putin. I, you know, I think it would have spared many, many thousands of lives, horrible human suffering, you know. But we were so sure, you know, we are so sure that we're right and, and you know, Ukraine has the right to join NATO. I'm not even sure Ukraine cares that much about NATO. Zelensky just said tonight, you know, maybe it wasn't such a great idea. You know, I think that idea came from us, from our elites specifically, not from our American people, who I think if they understood this thoroughly would know better. Yeah, all good points. Thank you to New York Post journalist Heather Robinson for joining us once again. And thank you all for joining us tonight on After Dark with Rob and Andrew. Check us out and all the other shows over at AmericaOutloud.com. It's about to celebrate its sixth anniversary. You can also find America Out Loud on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. And remember, stand for something or you will fall for nothing.